0: how are you all very quiet it's good to see you all on a sunny day so it's nice to be here um so i've got a question for you um and you can answer it with the person next to you what's the difference between centrifugal and centripetal turn to the person next to you see what they say anna can we um is this on mine So uh, some people have worked it out. Some people know. Did anyone ever go on a centrifuge at a fun fair? Yeah? (laughs) You're crazy if you did. You know the thing that spins you around the outside and then you're sick? That ride. Um, So centrifugal is force that sends you away from the center, which means centripetal is... Yeah, brings you in. Um, now, I think there are people who we react to, and we can. They, it's either like centrifugal or centripetal. Have you ever met someone who you think, I want to run a mile right now? <laughs> if that's me, if you could just gently tell me that after the service, that would be great, rather than actually running away from me, it would be just nicer for me. We have people, don't don't we, that we meet who we are attracted to, their whole lives are like, oh yeah, wow, I just want to be near them, I want to be like them, I want to um, be in their presence, and there are other people who go, well, if I just walk this way, then they won't notice that I've kind of noticed to ignore them, that kind of thing. I sometimes call them death eaters, but um, that would be a bit unfair. We're talking about, uh, these nine habits. How do we become the kind of people that are Christ-like, who draw others in by the very nature of who we are? How do we become the kind of people who are just so, yeah, you just want to be with? How do we, how do we do that? Um, there's a, a friend of ours, a guy called Brian McLaren. Some of you will have read some of his stuff. And he he says this about de- developing character. He says, you can't take an epidural shot to ease the pain of giving birth to character. So these nine habits that we're talking about, and I know nothing about that because I've never given birth, but I think there are people in the room right now going, oh, if only I'd had one. Um, but, uh we, when we're talking about these nine habits, um, there's no quick fix to becoming the kind of people we want to be. There's no quick fix. In the summer, I, uh, I was on a flight. Well, I had to go on two planes on one journey. Um, a flight from London to Toronto and then Toronto to Los Angeles. And I had to get from, a tr- from the plane which had landed late... Toronto to the flight to get to LA um, in an airport that's very long and um, so I um, gathered all my stuff up when the plane landed and you know when you you know when you really want to get off a plane and everybody else is taking so much time to get their stuff out of those overhead lockers and everyone's in the way and you just want to push them out of the way and run. And I was like, do you not realize I, I need to get another flight? I, but you have to take your time. And then as I was running through the airport, which is very long, and discovered, you know, those um, moving walkways that there normally are, weren't working, mm, pleasing, um, that you then have to run all that way through the airport. And then, of course, because you're entering another country, there's a whole other deal that has to go on. Which is, you get your papers checked, and then there's a whole load... And it's fair to say that if you're trying to get into America, that can be slightly complicated. They check you out um, quite seriously. Anyway, I got to that point in the process. And the Air Canada man said to me, I'm sorry but you've missed your connecting flight. I said, you what? (laughs) How dare you? No, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't. I mean, inside I thought that, but I said, really, have I? Is there any way you can get me on that flight? He said, no, you'll have to get the one tomorrow morning. I said, no, I can't. I really need to get there tonight. And he said, just sit there and wait. Ten minutes later, he just turned to me and he said, you've got to run with me. Run with me through the airport. So I follow this Air Canada man. We're pushing people out of the way. I'm being, People are screaming out, get her through. She needs to get through. And then you get to the bit where you have to put everything through the scanner. We're pushing people out of the way in wheelchairs to get me through. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know I did make it. Yes! By about three minutes, which was a delight. But that journey from one flight onto the next one is like giving birth to character. It's not easy. And there's plenty of things that come up that try and stop you reaching your destination, where you want to get to. Developing habits, developing a habit of compassion is like that. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought much about glass. (laughs) Has anyone ever thought anything? None of you. Good. That's okay. It's just me. Don't worry about it. Um, There are two ways to to make glass, aren't there? One is that it's put into a mold. So the liquid is poured into a mold. And the other, that it's held um, by a master craftsman who blows his breath into it. And it takes its own unique shape. And as we think about the habits and as we think today about compassion, as we think about what it is that's shaping us, we need to ask that question of ourselves, don't we? What is it? Who is it that's shaping us? God offers to breathe his life into us or we can just fit a mold that's shaped by someone else. So, the nine habits, Exodus chapter 3. It's a really familiar story, isn't it? Any of you who've grown up in Sunday school, that story. Oh, yeah, the burning bush. The Israelites are an enslaved people, and they're making bricks for the Egyptians. They're not free, they're not experiencing life how it should be. They're treated as slaves and they're beaten, and they're abused. And Moses is this character who had found himself in this unbelievable position of being within the Pharaoh's household, but when he sees what happens to his people, his original people, he kills a man, and he flees. And as we discover him in this story, he's hiding, he's been living in Midian, And he's married Jethro's daughter, and he's become a shepherd. He's just tending his sheep. And for whatever reason, he comes across a moment where he notices God like he's never noticed God before. He notices uh, a plant, a bush, and he notices God speak. And God says to him, this is holy ground. Which changes the moment a bit, doesn't it? What I'm about to say to you, Moses, this is a holy moment. And in verse 7, God says, I have seen what's happening to my people. I've heard the cry of my people. I've come down. And then he says... I send you. The Hebrew word for cry, sark, is this crying out, an expression of pain where someone is so profoundly hurt and broken and God speaks to Moses and says, I see it and I hear it and I'm come down. And then he says, I send you. You see, what we see right there in those few words is who God is. God is compassion. God is compassion. He sees, he hears, he comes down, and then he sends And Moses is asked to join in. The invitation to Moses is to become compassionate. This is who God is, and God invites Moses to become like him. Knowledge is just a rumor until it lives in a muscle. Knowledge is just a rumor until it lives in a muscle. That quote is going to wrestle with you for a while. That's so profound, isn't it? Knowledge is just a rumor until it lives in a muscle. You see, for some of us, we see and we hear the knowledge is there. But until it finds a muscle, until it works its way out in us, until we respond to the so I send you, it's just a rumor. It's just a rumor. So how do we turn this desire that we have to be compassionate into more than just a rumor? How do we do it? First thing is this. We need to dismantle our egos through surrendering. We need to dismantle our egos through surrendering. The first thing that you notice about Moses is his reaction. It's like, what, what me? But I'm busy. Could you send someone else possibly? But they won't believe me. You do realize who I am, <laughs> That reluctance that we all have sometimes to do the thing that we know we need to do. You see, what the ego does is its instinct is to protect, to create distance between us and the thing that we're seeing or hearing. But I think this, that compassion makes you vulnerable and that is a good and a holy thing. Compassion makes you vulnerable. It's a good and a holy thing. And surrender is not about giving in, it's about going to. Surrender is not about giving in, it's about going to. And it's exactly the tussle that Moses has with God. God invites Moses to become compassionate and Moses has this tussle of surrender. But actually God is calling him not just to give in but to go to to do something because if we're all in then this is what all in looks like if we're all in then this is what all in looks like how many times did jesus say things like whoever loses their life for my sake will find it do you see that whole thing about surrender about laying down compassion begins when we're prepared to go your agenda and not mine Your agenda and not mine. Mother Teresa said this Break my heart so completely, Lord, that the whole world falls in. Break my heart so completely, Lord, that the whole world falls in. Compassion begins when we surrender. When we allow our ego to fall down and we allow God to fill us. Second step, we have to make a decision to respond. Um, a long time ago, long, long time ago, um, I lived uh, in another in city in Derby. And I um, set up some street teams to go out and work with people who were homeless and all the rest of it. And there was an encounter I had then which has never, ever, ever, ever left me. And it lives with me every day as I walk around the streets of London, particularly when I see people um, asking for money uh, sitting on uh, the pavement. And there was a guy um, who I met called Pete. And um, I sat next to Pete on the pavement Um, on a a street in Derby where it's all pubs and clubs and all the rest of it and most people were drunk and what have you um, but Pete was living in a a, a doorway in a car park and I was just chatting to Pete just asking him how his week had been because we saw him quite regularly and I'd bought him some chips and curry sauce because he liked that and we were talking about some other work we were developing, and just as I was talking to him, someone came along and peed right next to him and right next to me. And everything inside of me was like, no. Why? He's a he's human being. And sometimes I'm with people walking in London and there's lots of people who are asking for money and everything. And we have that kind of, oh, well, if I respond to this one, uh, then there's just going to be more and more people asking for money. And we make this strange reaction where we choose not to respond to people like Pete, who are real people. we seem to numb ourselves to the reality of the fact that people like Pete and the guy called Ian that I met the other day on Waterloo Bridge, we seem to struggle to understand sometimes and we shut ourselves off to the fact that they are people who have a story. I remember someone saying once to me, passion that stirs, Is the compassion that saves. So these people amongst us, here now, around us, the people we see, the people that we see, these real stories. How does compassion grow? it stirs up in us and it becomes real. This picture of this little boy, I can't even put the full picture up. This little picture of this little boy, a real picture. Why did we respond? Well, there's a neuroscientist called Paul Zak who says this, that when we as human beings hear a story, it causes something to happen in our brains. When we hear a story about someone, a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, there's um, something that is released in our brains. Two chemicals, cortisol and oxytocin. Did you know that? There you go. And what those uh, chemicals do is they uh, cause reactions in us, which are about connecting, empathizing, and making meaning. So we need to respond to the stories of people. And as we do that, compassion is stirred in us. And God told Moses a story. I've seen, I've heard, and I'm coming down. And every time we encounter Pete or Ian or someone in our lives who needs to know that God is on their side, something is stirred in us and we can make our response. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Third thing, compassion requires proximity. You can't be compassionate at a distance. You can have empathy at a distance, but you can't be compassionate. You can have sympathy at a distance but you can't be compassionate. And what compassion does, it's about being involved in the mess and the mud, and it leaves a mark on you. Rose now thinking, who's going to be doing the cleaning up afterwards? You can't be compassionate at a distance. It gets under your fingernails. Compassion requires us to be close What's happening? That's why in the story God says to Moses, I've come down, he hasn't stayed away, he's come in. You can't be compassionate in a you know and exist just in the virtual world and ask somebody, How are you? Compassion says, How are you? I choose to be with you. Compassion is not about our convenience, it's about our proximity to people who need us. Compassion takes you into the mess and into the chaos, and it completely unsettles you. So when God says to Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, ah, you serious? Have you seen what he's doing to our people? Compassion takes you into the mess. And step four, compassion Requires practice, it takes energy, and time, and intention. I went um, running this morning, and I went yesterday morning, and I have to tell you that I hate it every time I go. <laughs> Absolutely hate it. I feel brilliant when I've done it. Brilliant's probably an exaggeration. I feel better in my. I feel virtuous by the time I get back but the more you do it the more it becomes just what you do but it takes energy and time and intention and i could have done with an hour another hour in bed compassion requires practice and the fifth thing is this step 5 determine for compassion to become your posture Does anyone know where that is? It's not in this country. It's not California, no. It's in Johannesburg. And it's called the Kissing Tree. And they planted two trees so just too near each other. And what happened is the trees have started to shape themselves around one another. If we want to become compassionate, we need to choose to grow up with compassion. We need to allow ourselves to be shaped around what compassion looks like until it becomes our shape. Just like these trees, they grow up round one another and they take on the shape of each other. Mother Teresa said, Lord, <clears throat> break my heart so completely that the whole world falls in. God said to Moses, I have seen and I have heard I come down and I send you so if we are to be people who practice compassion and become compassionate then that has to be our prayer as well which in summary goes Mess me up so that I might respond. Mess me up so that I might respond.